0: Well, good morning everyone. Welcome to Easter here at Seabreeze. We're so glad you've decided to join us to celebrate the day that Jesus walked out of the tomb. I think probably the best summary statement of what happened on that day is found in what is now the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3.16, where it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, less familiar than that verse is what was said three verses before. John 3.13, it says this, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man, which was the reference to Jesus, has come down from heaven. What it's saying is this, if someone had died and gone to heaven and then returned, they'd be able to tell us a lot about heaven. And what they said about heaven and how to get there would really carry weight because they themselves had been there and and now had had come back to tell us about it. But short of any real, verifiable intelligence or information about heaven, we're left to pretty much guess about heaven and, and project our wishes really in the direction of heaven. So whatever we think about heaven and how to get there tends to be just wishful thinking. But it says in verse 13 here that Jesus himself came from heaven and then he returned. So we don't need to make wild guesses about heaven. His presence here is a matter of verified history. In fact, there's more historical evidence behind the life and the deeds of Jesus than many of the stories or the figures of history that we have no question about. And his resurrection and ascension back into heaven was witnessed by hundreds. And Jesus came here Not only to make a way for us to go to heaven, but to help us understand how to get there. Now, we assume in modern culture now that most people just kind of naturally end up there. But according to Jesus, that's just wishful thinking. As it says in verse 16, it's only those who believe in Jesus that shall not perish, but have eternal life. So what does this mean? Well, normally on Sundays, my approach is to give you kind of an outline Of the ideas that I'm going to present. But for the next five weeks, I'm going to take a different approach. I'm going to give you an image drawn here on the whiteboard. We're calling this series Whiteboard Wisdom. And I've picked five images over the next five weeks that have been most helpful to me to understand many of the truths, the important truths that are found in the pages of the Bible. Today, we're going to talk about eternal life, what what that term means and, and how to be sure that we have eternal life. Now, you can use your message insert to draw the diagram as we go along. I know some of you who, who like outlines, this is going to be a little different for you. You'll adjust, you'll get up to speed. You artists will absolutely love this series because we're going to be doing a bunch of drawing. Now, since you may not be able to see everything I write on this whiteboard, and since my handwriting may not be the most legible, we're going to project the image, the diagram, as I draw it on the three screens. Sometimes it'll be on all three screens, sometimes if there's a verse in the middle. It'll be projected on the side screens. But if you can't see this, don't worry. You'll be able to follow along uh, on the screens as we move forward. So in order to understand what this, what this term eternal life means, we have to start with the first word, and that is the word eternal. God is eternal. What that means is that he has no beginning and he has no end. He's always been, and he will always be. There is no past that God can't get back to, and there's no future that he's uncertain of and wonders about. God operates outside of time. But God chose to create temporal reality. We'll use this oval here to represent temporal reality. We know this as space and time. Space is really the the container in which all of physical reality exists. And time is the context in which this world exists and moves forward. Everything inside this oval has or has had a past, a present, and a future. This reality exists in the framework of time. That's why it's called space and time. Now, God didn't just put inanimate objects inside this temporal oval, things like planets and stars and the periodic table of elements. God decided also to put life inside of this oval, all kinds of varieties of of many different types of life. But what's common to every life form inside this oval is like the oval, the life forms are temporary. They're temporal. In other words, they have a lifespan, some only hours or days, some for years. Some for hundreds of years. But everything that lives inside this temple round is born, lives, and then dies. It comes to exist, and then it has a, a lifespan, and then it dies. But God made one kind of life inside this oval that was unique and very different from the other life forms. He created humankind. You and me. Here's my stick figure, so now you know the extent of my artistic ability. We are made in God's image, and what this means is that there are certain aspects about who we are that reflect who God is. Now, we're very different than God in many respects, but there are certain aspects in which we are very similar to God. For example, like God, we can create. Now, we can't create anything as amazing as God can and with his power, but we, unique in all of the forms of life inside this oval, we have the ability To create things that have never been created before. To imagine things that have never been imagined before and bring them into existence. This is unique for humankind. We alone, of all the kinds of life in this oval, have the ability to create because we're made in God's image. And so, like Him, we reflect a creative aspect. Another aspect that we share with God is we are moral. Like God, we are moral. We have a strong sense of what is right and what is wrong. Now, we may disagree on what is right or what is wrong, but everybody, everybody in this, this world has a strong sense that these things are right and these things are wrong. And if we are wrong, particularly, we, we feel very incensed. We are moral because God himself is moral. We reflect his image in that way. And also, like God, our life has an eternal component to it. Although we are living in the temporal realm and we do have a lifespan We do have physical bodies that are born and live for a period of time and then die. We have an eternal part of us. We have souls. The core, really the essence of who we are that will outlive this oval. Now, shortly after the creation of time and space, the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, decided to step outside of God's moral design for them. They disobeyed God. And this first sin put distance between God and them and between God and all of their descendants, between all of humankind. And this is called the fall. So I'm going to erase this timeline. I know right now all of you are thinking, he can erase, but I can't erase because I'm not on a whiteboard. So don't panic. Just turn your insert over. We have continued the illustration on the back for you. In fact, we've done the next few steps so you don't get too discouraged. And so now... humankind has entered into a different experience. This is known as the fall. Now, as we move forward in time, time keeps marching forward, but the human experience now is is at a much lower and different level than had been previously true before sin entered into this world. And the term for this lower timeline is spiritual death. A spiritual death is different than physical death. Physical death marks the end of our physical life. But there is more to us, as I said, than, than just biology, than just our bodies, our physical life. We have souls. What that means is we also have spiritual life. But sin has, has caused a break between us and God. It's separated us in our relationship with God. And that has brought about a separation, a death in our relationship with God. And that has put our relationship with God now in the dark. So as humankind moves forward in history, there there's a, a darkness in their relationship with God. Now, God is still present, but we can't see Him. And we're left to kind of feel our way forward in life, stumbling and bumping into and tripping over situations and circumstances that, well, God could have guided us around, and the truth of His Word could have helped us avoid, but... We're now in the dark. We're kind of left to as as much as we can think and understand as we move through, and, and we're kind of feeling our way through life now in the dark. But God has not left us in this oval to fend for ourselves. Just because we've sinned, God didn't leave us all alone in this oval. He is still at work in this oval. And the reason is because this oval is not closed to Him, there are God holes. In this oval what I mean by that is God doesn't just exist outside of here and we exist inside here and we have separate experiences God engages space and time he gets involved in the temporal realm now God designed this temporal realm with tremendous complexity and structure and we refer to these designs now as the laws of nature What that means is this is the way things naturally occur. As we've observed and we've discovered more and more, we've discovered more about how this realm operates. And as science advances, we keep learning more and more about how complex and really beautiful and amazing this oval is. But this oval, as amazing as it is, is is not just like a complex watch that God designed, then wound up and left it to kind of run down on its own again and again and again, God would enter into space and time. And he would do something that was unnatural. We refer to that as a miracle. And God's purpose for doing these things was to speak to us about who he was and to speak to us about who we are. For example, Moses uh, was walking in the desert herding sheep and all of a sudden he saw a bush that was burning and this bush was very different than any other burning bush he would ever seen. He'd seen bushes burn before in the heat of the desert but usually the way it works is once the, the bush is consumed and the fire goes out but this bush kept burning. So that caught Moses' attention. That, that's not normal. So he walked over to the bush and out of the bush then God began to speak to him and God then told Moses that He had been chosen to lead his people and to teach them his laws, his ways, the moral outline that he designed life to live by. Now Moses, of course, immediately realized, now, God, if I go back and tell people I've seen a burning bush, it talked to me, and I'm now supposed to lead you, that's not going to go well for me. They're just going to imagine I was out in the desert too long without any water, and I've been hallucinating. So God, how, how will they know that you're the one that's talking? And God says, well, here's what you'll do. You'll, you'll take your staff, your wooden staff, and you'll throw it on the ground. So do that. Moses did it, and all of a sudden it turned into a snake. You can imagine he jumped back, and then God says, now grab it by the tail. Could you say that again? Do what? Grab it by the tail. So Moses grabbed it by the tail, and it turned back into a snake. You see, that, that's not naturally what happens. Naturally, a snake and a stick are very, very different. One's alive, one's not. They operate under very different laws. There is no science to explain what happened, either with the burning bush or with the stick turned into a snake and back into a stick. This is what we call supernatural. The word super meaning from above, from outside this realm. Natural meaning this doesn't happen normally. This is not what normally occurs. This is not natural. You see, most of what occurs inside this oval occurs naturally. That's why we have laws of science. If it only happened occasionally, if the, the law of gravity wouldn't be a law of gravity. It was just a Monday thing or a Tuesday thing. But because it happens all the time, it, it's what happens naturally. It's, it's a law. It follows the laws of nature. Now, modern science has greatly advanced our understanding of the way this oval is designed. And that's been of a huge benefit to us in all kinds of areas. It's been very, very great for us But one of the things that's happened over time is as we've figured out more and more about the design of this oval and how things work and how to solve all kinds of problems, therefore, inside of this oval, people have increasingly felt less and less of a need for God because a lot of the problems have been solved as we've been able to figure out the design and the structure of this oval. For example, it used to be that when you got sick, you know, you'd pray. But now with the advances of, modern medicine, for which I'm very grateful, you go to the doctor, then you go to the hospital, and only if that's not working do you really start to pray, seriously. Prayer is kind of like the last thing. Now I'm not suggesting don't go to the doctor. Now, if I'm sick, I'm going to the doctor. But you see, with the advances of modern science, whether it's in the medical area or whether all kinds of areas, there's just less of an awareness of a need for God because, well, we've figured all kinds of things out. We've solved all kinds of problems. And that, over time, has led people to to begin to operate and think as if there are no holes in this oval. That the only thing that really matters in life is what takes place inside this temporary oval. That's all that really matters. God, if he exists at all, is not involved. He, he doesn't enter into space and time and, and do anything supernatural. At best, this is really all that matters, and we're, you know, all that science knows and has discovered and will discover, that's what really matters most. But you see, if there are no God-holes in the temporal realm, then what that means is there's no basis for us to have a, a real sense of meaning and purpose that's truly bigger than ourselves. With no reference point from out here, we are just a cog in a very big and complex machine that was operating long before we arrived on the timeline, and we'll keep operating and humming along long after we're gone. And so we have a real problem coming up with a sense of true meaning and purpose if there's nothing beyond the temporal realm. We really struggle, though, to be consistent with that idea that there are no God-holes. In fact, just this week, I heard a commencement speech given by Jim Carrey a couple of years ago, the comedian. And in this commencement speech, he instructed the students to not be afraid to ask the universe for help. Now, I've heard this said more and more in the, the last few years. The, the, the word universe being used this way to ask the universe for help or the universe is telling us this or that. And Jim Carrey told him, now, if the, if the universe doesn't respond as quickly as you think it should, the reason is because the universe is getting all of my requests taken care of first and then they'll address your requests. But where do we get this notion that the universe can help us and can talk to us and can give us input? You see, the universe is not a person. The universe consists of inanimate objects. It's the space that the inanimate objects exist in. And so the universe can't speak to me or you or help me any more than this music stand can talk to me or help me. It's it's inanimate. It's not a person. So why are we increasingly now talking about the universe as if it's a person? Well, it's because we are made in the image of God. Whether we believe that to be true or not, that's just who we are. That's hardwired into the essence of our soul. We we can't escape that. We can't think differently and not feel differently about that. And so what that means is we have a desperate need for input beyond the oval because we're made in the image of God. So even if we choose to believe that this is a closed system and there is no God that punches holes and operates in space and time, we're still going to say irrational things like the universe can talk to us because we need something out here. Let me give you another example. My favorite sport is hockey, and so I follow the Ducks, the local team. I was reading an article just a couple weeks ago about Clayton Stoner, who is a defenseman for the Ducks. He's not very well known. And partly it's because he's had a hip injury most of this year. And that's kept him out of the lineup. And he's healthy now, and he's beginning to work his way back in the lineup. And in this interview, he said, now, now I hope to stay healthy. Knock on wood. This is what he said. Knock on wood. Now, we hear this all the time. I hear it all the time. People describing, you know, things are going really good. Knock on wood. Why do we say that? What does that mean? Where, Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the fact that hundreds of years ago, Celtic tribes worshipped trees. And they started this superstition. And that's what it is—a superstition. It's very different than supernatural. To be superstitious means super, which is above, outside of the realm, but stitious means amazement. The idea is, I have no idea, but let's try this. You know, it's, it's, it makes no rational sense. You see, so. If we don't have a rational understanding for, out, for something out here, we will come up with an irrational one. I mean, the Celtic tribes thought, because they worship trees, that if they rubbed the wood properly, then the trees would give them a better future. So now, hundreds of years later, rational people of science are saying, boy, I really hope the day goes good, knock on wood. Why, why do we do that? Again, we are made in the image of God, and we want something, even if it's a tree out here, to help us as we move forward in time. You see, even if we close off the oval, we just keep trying to punch God holes in the top of it. But no matter what we believe, our personal timeline progresses until our bodies die. Until they give out. And that will happen to every one of us. The point of death. And at that time, the time of our death, our eternal soul leaves the temporal realm, this oval, and it enters the eternal realm. And what happens at that point is what was only spiritual death inside the temporal realm now becomes eternal death. We now enter into eternal death. And the darkness and the separation from God that was true of us in this temporary realm now becomes permanent, irreversible. This is the timeline of human history. Everyone's on this timeline. We all are on this timeline. You see, while we were alive in the temporal realm, the the spiritual darkness that we lived in was not a total and complete darkness. And that's because we were still living in the reflected light of God's creation. And we were still living within the presence of other people. And so the light of those relationships and the light of God's creation gave us enough light to move forward and create usually you know, a lot of good times here in life. But once we enter into the eternal realm, outside of this temporal realm, there is absolutely no light out here other than God. What that means is if we enter into this eternal realm separated from God... That darkness that we experienced as dimness in this life becomes complete and total and utter blackness. What we'll experience then is only complete silence, utter blackness, and total isolation. If you've ever done one of those tours of a a cave and they've taken you deep into the cave, and the tour guide has said, Okay, we're going to turn the lights off so everybody, you know, grab a railing. It's going to get very dark in here. And they turn the lights off and and you've experienced the blackness of that where you, where you lift your hand up in front of your face and you, you can't see. You know it's there, but you can't see a thing. That's the idea of, of utter blackness. But you see, eternal death will be even worse than that because there'll be no one around you. You know, Sometimes I hear people talk about hell as hanging out with their buddies. That's wishful thinking. You, you won't be in the company of anyone else. You'll be isolated. That's eternal death. Complete and total and utter silence and blackness and isolation. Not, not just for five minutes or a day, but forever. Now, that's, that's a horror that is impossible for us to imagine. But that timeline doesn't have to be. Because God so loved the world, it says. What that means is you and me. That He was unwilling to let the consequences of this fall and our sin plunge us into eternal darkness and isolation from him for all of eternity. And so he opened up the biggest of all God holes between the eternal and the temporal realm and he gave his one and only son. His name is Jesus. And Jesus entered from the eternal and was born onto the timeline, into space and time. And he was called the Son of God because just like a son, a human son, shares in the nature of his Father and is fully human, Jesus shares in the same nature as God the Father and is fully God. You see, God is is not just one person and one being like us. We, we We have one person and one body. You know, I, I'm Bevan, and I have one body. If I start introducing myself with another name, we have a problem. It's called schizophrenia, and maybe other things, and that, that's abnormal. There, there's something wrong in my thinking, because for us, it's one person, one, one being. But God is different from us. He's, he's different from any other being, which you would expect God to be. He is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one being, one God. Well, this is not something we could have ever imagined. The only way we know this is that God has told us this about himself. And he's told us this about himself in the pages of the Bible. You see, the Bible isn't just people inventing ideas about God inside the oval. What happened in the Bible is over the course of 1,600 years, God would punch holes in the oval of space and time. And he would do the supernatural over and over again. And he would do this not just to frighten us or to put on kind of a supernatural show, but to give evidence that he was the one that was saying these words. You see, the Bible comes with all kinds of supernatural evidence that this is God speaking from outside the oval. This is not people making stuff up all by themselves inside the oval. That's what's unique about the Bible. It comes with supernatural evidence, evidence that This is the voice from outside the oval talking to us inside the oval. So the Father planned this amazing and costly rescue to rescue us from this timeline of eternal death. And the Son, Jesus Christ, is the one who carried out this plan. He's the one that paid the price for this plan by dying for us on the cross. You see, what happened on that cross is Jesus had taken on a human body and he died a death that he did not deserve to give us a life that we don't deserve, a future that we don't deserve. You see, since he was God in flesh, his death was was more than just a physical death. It was that. It was an excruciatingly painful physical death, but it was far more than just a physical death. It was an eternal death because he's God in flesh. That's why, if you remember that moment on the cross when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening at that point is Jesus was experiencing eternal death, complete and total separation and isolation from his Father. And it it just shocked him to the core. He tasted eternal separation and hell for all of us. He paid that price. He died in our place, and then he rose from the grave. Forty days later, ascended back into heaven. That's the event that we are gathering to celebrate today, his resurrection. Because that event proved that Jesus was not just another good man dying an unjust death. History is full of that. But this was, in fact, a unique death. This was God in flesh dying an eternal death in our place and bringing us eternal life. Bringing us life from the eternal into space and time. And this event created an alternative timeline. This timeline is called spiritual life. And it moves us out of the dark in our relationship with God and into the light in space and time. So now instead of moving forward in spiritual darkness and spiritual death, we can move forward in spiritual life. We, we can move out of the dark in our relationship with God and we can step into the light. So rather than just kind of feel our way forward and do our best thinking as we move forward, God now is able to actually guide us forward in time. And then, when we die, when we die, and our eternal soul leaves the temporal realm and enters the eternal realm, what began as spiritual life in this realm now becomes eternal life in the eternal realm. And the dim light that guided us in this realm but was blocked by the temporary realm is no longer blocked. We, we can now, in the eternal life realm, we, we can now stand in the full and total light of God's presence And that will be experience, again, that is hard for us to imagine. We will experience a joy that is completely untouched by any pain and any tears and anything that anyone does to us. We will experience a relationship with God and with others that's untainted by sin. That's hard to imagine. In other words, we will experience life as God intended it to be, eternal life. Now, the big question, of course, then, is how do we get off this death timeline and onto the life timeline? The common idea is we, we just elevate our game. We elevate our moral game to try to climb to a higher level or jump to a higher level. If you're late in life and you don't have a lot of time left, you just try to jump. But you see, we, we can't, the gravity of our sin is too great. We, we keep sinning. And it keeps putting us back down on the spiritual death timeline. And what it says in John 3.16 is it's, it's only those who believe in him that shall not perish but have eternal life. Believing in Jesus is how we attach our life to his life and therefore our future to his future. But what, is, what does that mean exactly to believe in Jesus? You, know, you hear that phrase knocked around and people have all kinds of interesting ideas about what it means. What, what does it mean? What did Jesus thought it mean? Does it mean just to believe that, that he exists? You know, sometimes people you know, say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. And it's, it's kind of more of a, I believe the facts. Well, when someone says, for example, they believe in me, they're not just saying, Bevan, I know you exist. I recognize your presence. Now, when someone says, Bevan, I believe in you, what they're really saying is that they have confidence in me. And in what I can do. And usually what it means is that it involves them entrusting some part of their future to me. They're, they're, they're banking on me. They believe in me, so they've 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 made some decisions that they really are now counting on me. I mean, it, this is really what happens in marriage. Two people believe in each other enough to tie their futures to each other. Well, that's a risky thing to do. But people do it over and over and over again because. They really believe in this person. So to believe in Jesus is to be confident enough in who he claimed to be and in what he said that he would do, that you actually attach your future to him. Now, not just your eternal future, but your temporal future, your your now, your todays, and your tomorrows. So who did Jesus claim to be, and what did he claim to be able to do that we need to put our confidence in? Well, on the night of his birth, the angels told us who Jesus is and what he would do. You see, the angels announced his birth because the, there need to be evidence that this is not just another birth. You know, we, we've, we've, we've all been born. I don't think angels announced any one of our births because we were born inside the temple. But you see, this was life from the eternal born into the temple. So angels had to announce this. And here's what they said in Luke 2, verse 11. Behold, this is what he said to the shepherds, behold. A savior has been born. He is Christ, the Lord. Savior and Lord. Those two terms are repeated over and over again in the pages of the New Testament. Jesus claims to be both our savior and our Lord. So what does that mean practically? Well, savior means Jesus is the one that came to rescue us from the consequences of our sin. To lift us out of our spiritual death, to pay the price of our sin that that is like gravity, that just keeps us anchored to this bottom timeline. And when we, are at, when we ask him to save us, to forgive us, we are moved from death to life when we ask him to be our Savior, not just the Savior, but the one who can save us, who can elevate our future. And that decision forever changes the path that we are on, both in this life and in the one to come. And that decision is always connected to this other decision, which is Lord. To Jesus, for Jesus to be your Lord means He's your authority. We don't use the word Lord that much, so probably the best word to describe it is boss, the one who's in charge. See, Jesus came not only to free us from sin and to die a death in our place, but to to show us and teach us how to live life now in the light of God's truth. So to make him our Lord is to submit to him and to stop doing life our own way. And that, not just in theory. This is very, a very practical decision. What it literally means is I come to this decision point in my life and I want to go this way and my culture says it's okay to go this way, but Jesus, or what God's word says is, no, you go this way. But I really want to go this way. If Jesus is Lord... I don't go this way, I go this way. I mean, it's very practical. You know, like Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Do you not understand what the word means? To be Lord means I, I actually, my, my life pattern is to move in this direction, not in this direction. Now, we all struggle, but when we sin, boy, we confess it and we, we get back on track. He is our Lord. So having been saved, we now move forward in time with Jesus as our Lord. So vertically, we are lifted from death to life. Horizontally, we are guided from now to eternity, Savior and Lord. The eternal life is a two-dimensional decision. You can't have one dimension without the other. Now this dimension, the Savior dimension, that's invisible. You can't see that part of the transaction take place. I can't look at you. You can't look at me and say, saved, right? Now, that, that's a decision we, we, we make in our own heart of hearts. That's invisible. But if we have made this decision, it always, in the, in the vertical, it always shows up in the horizontal. It always shows up in a changed life. Not a perfect life, but a significantly different changed life. And if this doesn't show up, then there's a real question about whether this ever happened. See, this is the visible. This is the invisible. Now, what this means is we don't have to wonder and guess about what, what's after this life or about heaven and, and how to get there. We have the words of Jesus. The one who came from heaven and then returned. The one who died and rose again. As it says in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. We don't have to keep going on this this timeline of eternal death, but have eternal life. So the question, the critical question is this, which timeline are you on? Not which one would you like to be on, which one do you think you deserve to be on, but which one, in fact, are you on? Maybe you're under the illusion that you can do enough good to get on the eternal life timeline. Maybe you just think you've jumped high enough, you've climbed high enough, that, you know, kind of heaven is owed you. But no one can jump that high. Only the risen Christ has the power to lift a life that high. And there's absolutely no time to waste on this decision if you're struggling with it. I mean, this life is temporary. We we never know when when death occurs and when we leave this temporal realm. But what we do know is this. Once this realm is over for us, the window of opportunity is closed. And the path that we leave on will be the path that we stay on for all of, all, of, all of eternity so this is not a decision to kind of back burner and come to at some point so'm I'm going I'm to close today by praying a prayer of commitment and belief in Jesus and I'm going to do this because if you want to move from this timeline to this timeline I invite you to join with me and allow these words to be your words now this is only going to happen if or work if this is true of your heart. And if you've already made this decision, then allow this prayer to remind you of what Jesus has done for you and the path that you are now walking on, that you do not deserve to be walking on. But Jesus has paid for this path. So let's pray together. Join me. Father, on this Easter we come to you and we admit that it wasn't just Adam and Eve that fell into sin. We have joined them In this great fall. In fact as recently as this week. Maybe even this morning. We have ratified the decision that they made. With our own sin. And we have. We have turned our backs on you. At key points of decision. And we have walked in the darkness. Of our own best thoughts. And what we want our own ways. So we are on the path to eternal death. But you loved us. this world so much that you sent your son jesus christ to to pay the price of our sin and to make a way for us to walk with you both now and then for all of eternity and so we we believe in you jesus and who you are and what you have done and we declare today jesus that you are our savior the one who has forgiven our sin we we confess our sin to you and we ask that you would save us. You would lift our life out of, the, out of the darkness and into the light. And we decide to submit to you, Jesus, as our Lord and to set aside whatever we want and whatever we think is best for what you want and what you say is best. And we choose to follow you and your words in the Bible. And we thank you for the gift of eternal life that will change us both now and then for all of eternity. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.